Welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. Uh, Keith? Yes. How are you doing? <laughs> this question again? Yep. Uh, man, I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm just trying to get my bearings. It's it's always feels a little uh, awkward when we first start going. Right. And, and we're on a ship. Yeah. Out right. at sea. So. Yeah. <laughs> I just had, and I have, I just don't, I have no way to get into it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like once we're into it, it's fine. But getting into it, it's kind of like, you know, there's fits and starts, starts and fits. What's the saying? Dude, you're on it, man. I think you've, (laughs) I think you found your zone. I think you need to run with this right, right here. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the main episode, I have some things I want to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, we've gotten a handful of emails and tweets over the past week. Um, so I want to say thanks to Boomer for emailing me. He, he's had a, a lot of really good ideas, and we've been uh, communicating back and forth, and I want to get some of those on the show. But unfortunately, there's two, there's a lot to talk about on this one, so we don't have time for that today. But thank you, Boomer, for emailing us. And um, at Shiny Rob has been... Um, really vocal about the show on Twitter and he's been really nice. And he also checked out our other podcast and said that was good too. So thank What's you. What's that other podcast called, Shiny Justin? It's called Everything is Interesting. Oh, that sounds interesting. And we just released an episode a few days ago. Oh, did we? Um, yeah. And then you had someone contact yeah. you, right? Yep. Eric um, sent me a message on Facebook. He's an old, old buddy, old war buddy. Right. Not really from a war. Um, and, uh, yeah, he found our podcast and said some nice things and we've been chatting, uh, on a personal message. So yeah. just wanted to give him a little shout out. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks to, you know, those in particular, but thanks to everyone that listens. We uh, appreciate it. Uh, you silent millions out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, something else I wanted to talk about. Before we get into the show, it's something is is something that I've noticed on Reddit, a little bit on Twitter, is I feel like the show has has done an all right job of sort of giving us answers, doling out information at a certain pace. But it feels like there is a core group of people who are just like shutting their eyes and plugging their ears and refusing <laughs> to acknowledge any of those answers. And the the example that I had, or the example that that got me thinking this way was after last week's episode on Reddit, someone posted something about how we didn't know. I can't remember what the wording was exactly, but basically we didn't know if Patty had organized the guilty remnant murder of Gladys, even though to me pretty definitively at the end of the episode, when Kevin says, did you murder Gladys? And Patty replies with, she was okay with it. Like, that's a yes in my book. Right. Like, there's no need to, like, second guess that, I think. And I feel like it, it, some of it may be caused by the pedigree, right? Because it's coming from the guy who did Lost. I think some of it, too, may be just from this sort of, like, hyper-aware zone that television shows are in now, where it's just under, like, extreme scrutiny, like we're doing with the leftovers or like how true detective was, but it's kind of like, I just feel like there's, especially with this show when there's so many other things to be talking about, 
there's no point in wasting yeah. your time on the things that have been answered. Yeah, I, I feel like some people don't know how to watch shows like this. They yeah. they get caught up in the details. They miss the forest for the trees, you know, and they think it's all about the trees, and they just don't even know how to decipher those. You know, it's like, do you want him to literally state every idea point blank in order for you to finally understand it like should a character turn to the screen yeah should patty be like we killed gladys right. this scene is where i establish <laughs> that we killed Gladys, and then go into the scene i mean this is my confession of the guilty remnant murdering gladys <laughs> and action right yeah i mean, I feel like that's what they want you know? yeah yeah and that's why we kind of i think for the most part we try and sort of stay with broader themes and i i'm also functioning under the idea of if they tell me something pretty solidly, I take that as the truth and I move on. I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, I think it's fair to just say, based on what the show gives us, these are what we can deduce. Let's move forward with that. Let's not overthink it. Right. Let's not be like, well, I don't know, because Gladys, uh, her eye was twitching and I really noticed that eye twitch. I think that was her lying, you know, and she said, you know, it just doesn't doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah. Gladys said or not Gladys, but Patty said it. Let's just Right. It's like when you study, you know, body movement and like right. and like subconscious meanings, it's like she was twitching, that means she was lying. It's that just like, all right, right, let's just, you know. They said this, we'll take it at face value for now. You know what I mean? Right. Um and part of that is um, the, uh, this past week, the guilty remnant podcast did an interview with Scott Foster, I believe his name is, who was an assistant director. They did a really good interview with him and the living reminders podcast did a really good interview with Kath, um, Lyndon Garter. I think her name is her last name. That's probably wrong, but it's something along those lines. And she's a writer. She wrote this episode nine. She You're wrote- all about proximity. Right. I feel like Justin, if you get close, <laughs> Justin's yeah. fine with it. She wrote um, episode six, Nora's episode, and she wrote episode two, I believe. But they had um, they mentioned something very inter- that I found very interesting that I think applies to the same sort of idea. And Kath made it a point to to sort of bring up that she uh, she's talking about when she likes to write an episode, she likes to sort of have the story as a whole and then fit everything together, almost like a a puzzle. Or you can say this means this, this points to this, this points to this. Whereas Damon Lindelof approaches it as the story is going to come to him as he writes it. So something that gets introduced in an episode, he may have no idea how that's going to play out by the end of the series or by the right. end of the episode, for better or worse. And so that kind of speaks to to some of that. And Scott Foster also, um, on the Guilty Remnant podcast, they asked him specifically about the signage that was on the house across the street from Norris. Um, and it said... 378 where question mark and i kind of just took that to mean i wasn't sure what the 378 was i kind of just assumed it was like the address of the house and they're just asking where are these people at because maybe they disappeared um some other people thought it was maybe like the number of people in mapleton that disappeared which would seem like inordinately high (laughs) but who knows um, but there's a lot of theories about the number, right? What does this number mean? And then Scott Foster on the podcast is more or less just like, you know, hey guys, the number doesn't mean anything. Like the sign doesn't mean anything. It was just something that we thought would be an interesting sort of world building thing. You know what I mean? And so I think that kind of speaks to like, 
making sure you're not losing focus. You know what I mean? And even if 378 wear stood for something, it's kind of like, I feel like there's no, it doesn't really have any significant tie into the show. Right. So there's, you know, no point in kind of spending a lot of time on it. Yeah. And speaking of not spending a lot of time, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to say just two points really quickly, if I can even remember them as I start talking. Mm -hmm. Number one, um, I totally agree with you. But then I also wondered, like we mentioned on True Detective, that is there a responsibility from the people who are creating shows like this to not drop breadcrumbs in a dead-end direction? I don't think that 378 Wear is a breadcrumb. I think that's fine. That's a detail you want to put on there. Don't need an answer for it. Right. But too many of those, which is where I think True Detective fell. Yeah. There were too many breadcrumbs along the side that literally went nowhere. Yeah. That at some point I say, you know, and I think Nick Pizzolatto and some other people really blame some of the audience. And I have a, I have a really hard time with that criticism because I want to say you put it there and guess what? You made a compelling show, but you dropped too many, you got too cute, you know? So I feel like there's a fine line on, on the hands of directors and writers when you're writing a mystery show and it's needs to be tightly written and directed. You can't throw too many. Oh, Hey, let's, you know, make this cool sign. Let's, do this cool thing over here. Let's do this cool thing over there just to do it because people are going to read into those things. You have yeah. to, you have to start anticipating that. I feel. Yeah. And I think the difference is with true detective. Some of those things could have been very significant plot points, right? Like, like Hart's daughter was drawing pretty disturbing images, images. and that was never explained. And Where, playing with, it dolls and right doing exactly images, yeah whereas the sort of the vor the the swirl symbol is more or less kind of like an easter egg where it just is a drawing on the wall you know where it's in hindsight it seems a little you know uh thoughtless to throw that up there but at the same time it's not like no one is ever like hey check out this drawing my kid did exactly you know what i mean um and with this and that's and that's kind of what i'm saying like the the 378 where i don't it's not like a significant plot point you know right. I mean? like no one is really interacting with it with it with anything it just is like i said it's kind of like world building like i saw yeah. that and the literally the first thing i thought of was um all of the houses in uh mississippi and in new orleans after hurricane katrina you know because I did a little bit of work out there with Marco and like, as we're going through the neighborhoods, you saw that stuff on the houses, like houses that were completely flooded out. You could see like water lines up to the ceiling. Yeah. And like on the outside, it was just like people would have giant pieces of plywood with their insurance claim number written on it or their address or whatever. And so that's what I first thought of. And so I thought if anything, it was kind of just maybe like a, a tie in to like this, kind of unexplainable natural disaster right you know what i mean yeah um another thing i want to say is i feel like no show has yet really come through and done a blair witch style of storytelling which is what i'm waiting for which is one reason i love the blair witch as a as a story is that you have the main narrative in the film which are these students right making this student film yeah but 
the the depth of the story is all along the edges of what they're doing right they're they're dropping hints and talking about the this greater mythology that this Blair Witch is only one piece of you know and you have still to this day I can recall like the points of reference on that story Mm -hmm. and what happened there like Coffin Rock and all this stuff you know I feel like I don't understand why with our ability to storytell and to create you know shows the way that we have why nobody has truly gotten ambitious and or, or embrace the idea that you can tell a story beyond the one or you can be telling a, another story on the periphery of the one that your that your main quote unquote narrative is is telling yeah. you know and that's one thing that got me excited about true detective i know it got you kind of excited I'm not saying that i wanted a hp lovecraftian cthulhu reveal at the end where it shifts the whole story on its head yeah. and you realize yeah, we're, we're hitting at something bigger here. But you're seeing filmmakers and storytellers starting to play with this idea with Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. you know, and and this idea of broadening your mythology to, to bleed outside of the boundaries of your main story show or whatever it is. I think some of that is probably way too big. And, and you know, Richard Kelly, who made Donnie Darko, talked about it with Southland Tales and stuff. I wonder, you know, if this show, you know, could be ready or if they could kind of branch it out in season two. And I think those are conversations we're going to be having more later on, you know, maybe expectations for season two or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. But um, and last thing I wanted to say uh, is Damon Lindelof is a huge fan of Stephen King. And Stephen King's mm-hmm. style of writing is to write, and he claims to not know what's going yeah. to happen page to page. I, as a fan of writing and King and good storytelling, I've tried to write that way. It's insane. It's totally insane to me. Yeah. I don't know how you can do that. Stephen King can do it. But part of me thinks if Damon Lindelof has bought into that as an idea, but he hasn't yet perfected the way of of landing it to the end. Stephen King... And, and I think some people might argue that his endings are, are weak mm-hmm. in a lot of his books. But I feel he, he finds a way to stick some landings. I feel like Damon Lindelof, it, you know, in, in his writing style, is still trying to find out how do you write open-endedly but make it all cohere in the end yeah. without it kind of unspooling. Right. And something that we'll talk about a little bit later is I feel like keeping with that analogy, Stephen, if Stephen King is writing just – without stopping or knowing where his characters are going, where the story is going. He at least like page two, at least follows page one, right? Whereas (laughs) Damon Lindelof is writing and he may be writing page two. And then next thing you know, he jumps to page nine (laughs) and then he jumps to page 35. And then he finally jumps back to page three. You know what I mean? Right. And that's where it kind of, I feel like for me, at least it starts to lose the thread a little. It becomes a little bit more about the, storytelling itself right than it does the story you know what i mean you want to use that as a jumping off point into this episode um yeah well we'll we'll talk about it towards the end because first um well first just to uh establish a a a structure for the show we're going to talk about episode nine we're going to talk about kevin and Lori, uh first of all because they're kind of the centerpieces of the episode and um 
I wanted to go over all of the little sort of callbacks that you get throughout the episode and get your feeling on those because I think depending on where you land on it, they can either be like wonderful, like this is what we just watched, or they can be like this is what I just watched, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I don't need it spelled out like that. Right. Um, we'll give our overall impressions. We'll talk a little bit about some other theories that have cropped up after the episode or maybe some that are gaining traction or persisting. And finally, we'll, we'll have our leftover, our leftover observations. So episode nine, it's called The Garvey's at Their Best. I think everyone seems to agree that the title mm-hmm. is sarcastic, maybe, or like ironic, because like they're not at their best. They're not at their best. Like if this is The Garvey's at their best, like they don't really stand a chance. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but the show opens with Kevin. And we eventually sort of figure out or are told that Kevin is kind of an American Beauty-esque, like sort of stereotypical American white male husband, father, who is putting on a face for the rest of the world, right? But underneath it all, he's like deeply unsatisfied with his life. Does yeah. that, do like, you think, does that, like, does that work for you? Like, yeah. it makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, it seems to explain a lot. Do you think, like, are you all right with that? Or do you feel like this is kind of like a boring trope? Or are you interested to see it explored? Uh, you know, I mean, and and that's part of the, part, part of my issue is I don't know where all the disconnects are in this storytelling. I don't know where to pin it to. Yeah. I feel like I need to see the end of the season, mm-hmm. but I'm still out on whether Justin Thoreau is a good actor or not, you know? So, yeah. so part of me is like, am I not interested as interested because Justin Thoreau, I don't think he's a good actor Right. is part of it because I don't feel like the characters are as fleshed out and defined as they should be. I don't really know. And I don't feel comfortable saying like where I fall on it, but I mean, honestly, I'm not as invested in Kevin. Maybe because the acting, I don't know. Yeah, I think he does well in some scenes, but in others, he just doesn't seem to. I don't know. I'm more interested in the him going crazy storyline than anything. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm more interested in those. I guess the most interesting time um, that Kevin Jr. spends are in his dreams. You know, yeah, that's what I find compelling is when he's yeah. in a in a dreamscape. Um, but anytime he's in, you know, real life, he's just an angry dude. Yeah, just we do angry. get that at least. He just seems to be angry even pre departure, right? Yeah, yeah, pre departure. I, I thought we'd have a contrast for him. There's really no contrast for for Kevin Jr. Yeah. Um. So we get the the literal cracks in the wall at the house, coffee mug breaks, all these signs. Sonia, uh, Sonia's uh, recap at the AV club mentioned something that I thought was pretty interesting. She pointed out that Kevin needs to, it seems that Kevin has a need to always be saving something, right? And that's and, a trope. Yeah, that's a trope as well. Yeah. And uh, so her examples for this, or maybe, I don't know if she listed all these examples or not, but these are the examples I have written down. So Amy, he saved from single motherhood. Tommy, he saved from an abandoned fatherhood or abandoned father. Right. Um, Jill, he is, I guess, currently saving from abandoned mother. Right. Since Jill joined the guilty remnant. I couldn't think of one for Jill. 
but yeah. I think that's the closest approximation. Yeah, he's trying. Yeah. Um, the deer that he is trying, there's a line that um, Lori says after their somewhat um, obtuse argument. Argument. <laughs> She says, uh, better go save it. Yeah, then or it's something. trapped. Better go save it. And right. she says it, you know, cynically or whatever, which he replies with another fairly deft Kevin F you. Right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to um, I, I I wrote this earlier to you, but I think I do want to try and coin it if I can. It's a it's a classic Kevin Foff. Right. What I'm calling, <laughs> yeah. which is an F off. Yeah. That you just combine that way we can keep our. uh Keep our 10-year-olds listening and happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah but good. yeah, panted Foff. I liked it. Um, and then he ends up saving, quote-unquote, the woman whose car is totaled by giving her a ride home. Um, and, and something that I noticed, and I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you're going to know this or not off the top of your head, but the woman in the car asks him if he's a good guy, right, or if he's a good man. Yeah. And I could have sworn that he got asked that earlier in the series. Um... You know, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I didn't have time to go back. It and sounds look. right, though. Yeah, it sounds right. I'm sure somebody has has an answer to that. So I'll just throw it out there. I might be getting it mixed up with something else I watched recently, but I feel like, I feel like that's the case. And the only other connection I could think of was Nora, and there's no real. She lost everybody in her family. Yeah, but by the time they get together she's like right she's hugged it out with wayne she, right she doesn't have and she's kind of helping him yeah so maybe that's why the relationship will work because he's, he's getting helped. saved there you go <laughs> um something else i noticed is that junior and senior show no signs of going crazy pre-departure right outside of the line where um uh Kevin says something like, I think something is wrong with me. Yeah. Right. But other than that, I mean, senior certainly doesn't. I don't think he does at least. No, he seems uh, extremely lucid. Right. <laughs> hyper, hyper lucid. Yeah. So that made me think, and this is something that's been tossed around as well, is this idea that in the first episode, the twins say something like it's, it's been an urban myth that all the dogs who went feral are the, are the ones who witnessed their owners disappearing. And so right. a lot of people have since applied that to Kevin since we assumed that he was having an affair when the departure happened, which was confirmed in this episode. And so the idea is that is Kevin going crazy because he saw someone disappear, right? The woman he was sleeping with, um, which would also then have to apply to senior, right? He would have to see somebody disappear. And then uh, when I watched it the second time, during the science fair, Jill is looking at the girl who disappears. Yeah. Jill's not going crazy. Yeah, no, no. So, I, I don't think it's a one-for-one one there. Yeah. But it does. I, I think it's something that I'm interested to talk to you later on about, which is what is the source of these people's kind of visions, their mania, right? Yeah. Is it linked to the departure? Or is it linked to this kind of <clears throat> higher power that we've seen reference to at different points in the... Right. Uh, in the season. Right. Uh, and the last thing is uh, Kevin Sr. is talking to Kevin Jr. during his smoke break at the party. Yeah. And he basically confronts him on the garbage speech he gave him at the birthday party. And it's right. like, 
I know something is wrong. I know you're not happy, blah, blah, blah. And he ends up saying more or less, there is no greater meaning. Get over it. Or like, right. this is as good as this it gets. It. What did yeah. you, what did you make of that? Yeah. I mean, aren't they kind of contrasting for you senior pre-departure post? Because post-departure is all about, there is a greater meaning. You need to wake up to this greater meeting. That's true. See, I didn't pre- think, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Pre-departure, he's all, this is it. You know, this is all there is. So, I mean, you know, he provided the best contrast, which is what I wanted in, in a uh, flashback episode that could compare people against, you know, yeah. c- compare their, their uh, post-departure selves against. So, yeah, he, he ended up being the most compelling character for that reason. I thought that that was really interesting that he would, he would say that and then think about where he is now and what yeah. he's saying now. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think I, if any, I, I more or less just took it as kind of like, I think I, I, you can also take it as sort of like a wink to the audience. You know what I mean? Like, because the Damon Lynn, the writers no have more. always said it's about the characters and not about the greater meaning. It's not right. about the greater event. Um, but yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, so moving on to Lori, we finally get Lori pre guilty remnant. She's talking and she's a therapist. And she's Patty's surprise, therapist. As surprise. Some, as a lot of people have speculated. Um, and did, did you write this down? The foot feels the foot. I don't remember writing yes. this down. Okay. So I you, did. so you wanted to talk specifically about the, the quote, uh, the quote that's from her like calendar or something yeah. she's looking at. And the quote is the foot feels the foot when it hits the ground. Or when it feels the ground. Oh, sorry. When it feels the ground. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and so the first thing that I thought, just on a base level, I was interested in you and in your take, was Lori really that puzzled by that quote? I mean, it was like she was reading another language. <laughs> Did you go back and watch how many times she no, looked yeah, at she it? No, yeah, she was. I think, and because of, I really didn't think anything of it. Like, to me, it's just one of those baloney inspirational you know what i mean like like uh do life or whatever like let's do life together it's just one of those like garbage sayings you See, know i mean? would have liked it better if it was more of a garbage saying yeah that didn't have any reference point to anything and that she's upset that she bought a calendar that that has such a garbage <laughs> saying in it like that would have been more right. more compelling but i loved how much they pushed this yeah. calendar thing because i watched it once and when it got to that, uh, to the next scene of her puzzling over it, I was like, hold on, I didn't read the whole thing. So I went back and I paused it because I was like, I'll never get to see this again. You know, I read it, I push play, goes to her scene. Then it cuts back to the calendar, shows yeah. you again. Then it cuts back to Lauren. She like, picks it up again, looks at it, puts it down. And I'm like, oh my God, like they are really, they're doing everything in their power to point you right. to this calendar, right? Yeah. Which then made me think, well, is it really that hard to decipher? What what do I think it is? So I right. wrote down kind of what I think it is. And, and I took it as saying that basically a thing feels most like itself when it is accomplishing its purpose. Um, is is that what you took it as? Is that... Like I said, I didn't take it to mean anything. But I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then I just basically said, well, why would they want us to focus on this? And I was like, well... To me, it clearly references uh, what many characters claim to be lacking post-departure, which is a sense of purpose, right? It's kind of like 
the foot feels the foot when it feels the ground. Now with the departure, the ground is gone. So how is the foot ever to feel like a foot? You know, mm-hmm. it can still be doing the same function, but if it does not have the ground to work off of it, it will never feel itself. It will never feel its purpose. Right. right. And so to me, that's a really, it almost felt like an over tipping of the hand from the writers that may, mm-hmm. did they think they were being a little more subtle than they were? Am I just taking a really obvious take on this that somebody else is going to have a really more subversive take on what they meant by it? But I don't think it's as obvious as you think it is. So you think there's something, another level beneath my basic... No, I think you're right. I just don't think it's as obvious as you found it to be. Like like oh. I said, I didn't I didn't pick up on it at all. Oh, okay. I see what you're so, saying. Well, I, I, it, I, just, I just want to touch on that. Yeah. No. But, but, but I think it does, honestly, explain a lot of action that happens later on in this episode. Yeah. And I think a lot of action that we've seen this season, which is... Just what I said, basically, you know, the departure has fundamentally shifted people's purpose, what they thought they were about. And now everybody's trying to find that level again right. where they can be functioning in a way that they that makes them feel their purpose. Yeah. Why why they are here. No, I think that's good. Um, like you said, we also find out that Lori is Patty's therapist and Patty is a bit of a like nutto, right? Like like. She's a, she like, I don't like, I don't think outside of like, uh, trying to construct a story for television, Patty would be seeing a regular therapist. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like she seems like, like she's going to crazy town a little bit with her acting and with like her hand movements and like the fluctuation of her, of the, of the, of her voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think to me, she represents that fundamental question they asked you earlier, which is, you know, are we seeing mania or are we seeing somebody who is getting basically the first waves of the of this premonition? You right. know, so how do you, you know, is Kevin Sr. crazy or is he just tuned into another frequency right. that, that is an actual existence? And so I think Patty is a really good test case to say you know, what do we think about her character and her motivation? Is it just because she is manic or is it because she is actually picking up, you know, these early signals? Um, But again, I don't think that we have enough knowledge in the show to go off of. But so my plain reading of it is that, yeah, she was losing her mind before the departure the departure happened as a way of confirmation, but it's confirmation bias, right? Yeah. She, she's looking for something. It could have been a huge earthquake that happened. Like she was going to latch onto something. Just so happened it was the right time, right place for the, the, the departure to happen. And all of a sudden, Patty, just like that quote, right, becomes a foot that hits the ground again. And now she has yeah. her purpose. Yeah, that's very true. And I was going to say that the, the show gives itself an out, right? Because it's... She doesn't just say something terrible is going to happen and then Lori probes her about it. Lori then says, well, you've said that before. What makes this different? And she says all of those before were tremors. This is whatever. And for all we know, she could have said the same thing the last time she brought it up. Exactly. And, And so I think that's that's the question that we can't answer yet, which is 
is this a premonition right or is this just right but it's still and this is something again that i'll talk about a little bit later it, it it's they are still introducing very heavily this element that points to a greater explanation right exactly exactly yes. and it's a supernatural explanation yes. that is paralleling all of the other supernatural explanations yes. potential supernatural natural explanations i agree um Something else we find out, or I guess is maybe a, a confirmed assumption, is that her marriage with Kevin is... Lori's? Yeah, Lori's marriage with Kevin is on the rocks. It's not something... Uh, it, it wasn't, as she put it in her divorce letter that May perfect. read, it wasn't perfect, and he wasn't the perfect husband, which, just to reiterate what i said earlier i think maybe kind of speaks to lindelof's writing style of like at the moment they thought this would be the most impactful would be to have her walking away from a family or from a husband at least that was absolutely perfect but then when it comes time to actually explore that relationship oh maybe he wasn't so perfect you know right um but one thing i wanted to talk about we just and and again not to sort of uh uh, well, in our in our other podcast, we just watched a movie called The One I Love. And it had a very well sort of written and acted relationship dynamic. And I was wondering what you thought of this Kevin and Lori's, because we finally get to see them interacting in a marital setting pre-departure, like what their normal setting would be. How, do you, how did that play out for you? Did you find it? Uh, relatable did you think it was you know what did you make of it it, it was still it, it was frustrating to a certain extent because Lori has a she's still missing something right which is why she cries holding the puppy which is why she gets called out by Patty mm-hmm. you know that she knows something's wrong and I have no sense of what that is you know, zero sense of what that could be. And then her cryptic fight with Kevin. Right. Honestly, I don't know what that was about either. Yeah. I, I, I have maybe a theory, an idea of what Lori's getting at, but it's not really clear to yeah. me. No, it's not. And so there I go. I'm like, well, all right, you gave me a taste of what their relationship was before, but it's just more unanswered questions of... Yeah, what is Lori's problem and what is their dynamic? Yeah, yeah, the fight was weird because it's like, is she calling him out on not being invested in the family? That was my initial like, take. Right, but it's it's so it's so sort of ambiguous, right? Right. Um, and the, the only question I really came away from it was, do you think, because the whole thing is... The catalyst of the entire argument is why Ke- is about why Kevin won't say no to her, right? Which also seems a little strange um, as a springboard for an argument or an argument about him being about him not being invested in the family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the this the this the kind of the sense that I got, I guess, the way I justified those two would be by saying that. He's just so uninvested with the family that he doesn't care to kind of chime in on any of the decisions the being decisions, made. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he just goes along with 
everything. And that, I guess, um, results in maybe like a growing spite, you know what I mean? Or yeah. like feeling of a lack of control because he's just not doing anything. But I mean, you know, when you look at what he's done right for Tommy, you know, taking this, That's, taking this right. kid. And then he goes to Tommy's biological father. Right. Aren't, and he like threatens to kill him if he touches and he says it, my son, right. you know, right? So I'm like, okay, here's a guy. He's angry. Yes. How does he respond to Tommy? By, you know, being great to Tommy, right? Right. He's like, Tommy, you're okay. What's going on? And then he's like, okay, I'm going over. I'm threatening to kill your, right. kill your biological father. As uh, That's as good as you can expect Kevin to respond. And I just feel like saying, how much more invested does that show him to be? Exactly. And then, but Lori is saying that what his, his lack of, of, you know, kind of like, like, like you said of chiming in on whether or not he wants a dog and what he wants for other certain things is showing his lack of commitment or connection to her. And then it's like, she's the one too, who's telling her daughter that she can't be at the science fair, you know, the next day. And she wasn't there the year before. And it's like, well, then couldn't he turn it on you and be like, how invested are you in your daughter? If you're not going and supporting her and what she wants well, to do and quickly too i think that that was sort of a like i think that itself was a callback to like hey look jill's okay with her mom not being around you know what i mean and now that she's actually not around all the time she is really not jill's not okay with it right yeah um but anyways i think i think you're right the, kevin is simultaneously supposed to be uninterested or like like subconsciously uninvolved with this family like just totally zoned out but then he's like beating up his stepson's biological father right. or he's like being shown a viral video by his daughter and then spending his time watching it trying to understand it when she's not around it's like that doesn't scream like uninvested to me right exactly um so who knows and and i think that also raises the question Okay, if he's not happy with this, what does he want? What would he be happy with, right? And we don't have any sense of that at all outside of maybe like like we mentioned earlier like in the AV club recap, like he just constantly wants to be saving people, but it doesn't, it, it, it it doesn't, doesn't make a fit. lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't fit. And the the last the the revelation we get with Lori uh is that she is pregnant or was pregnant, depending how you look at it. I guess. I guess it. I guess it uh, is kind of. It's. 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 It sort of speaks to the idea that the Garries haven't lost anybody, but it also raises a lot of questions, right? Like, how much does Kevin know? How much did Lori know all about it? And the, kind of the biggest question is. Uh, and I, I guess we're both operating off the same assumption that the baby was departed. Yeah, I, I honestly, I would say I would go back to our first conversation and say based on what i was shown in this episode the baby's departed so yeah we didn't you know the camera didn't spin around we didn't see the screen be empty but based on right. Lori's minor reaction and how that was filmed right the baby's yeah. departed we didn't get the nurse going where's your baby at <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly the other thing that i want to say though too this is an interesting touch um i watched last night most of last night's episode with my wife, 
who's watched only one episode before this. Mm-hmm. Um, what episode was that? Episode three, I think. It was the one that we thought was going to be good. And, oh, okay. And, not, and then the, the fourth was Matt, right? It was, right. It was it was what was supposed to be Matt's episode. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I was like, you have to watch three. People say three is great. You watch three. And she was like, <laughs> I'm done with the show. So I was like, but uh, she, she watched some of last night's show. And this was um, one moment where uh, she was starting to get kind of like, she's like, oh, don't tell me that the baby's gone or whatever. I was like, well. I'm like, funny you should say that because I was like, that was one of my biggest problems that I had with the book. I felt like the book was not interested in its premise enough mm-hmm. to the point where I remember saying after reading the book and I was talking to Elise about it, I was like, I'm kind of upset, for example, that Tom Parada didn't put in a character or even a reference to a character yeah. losing a baby or a fetus like in utero. Right. I was like, having just that one touch in the book would have helped me understand the scope and the breadth of what happened. But because he was so focused on Mapleton and just his core characters, and he didn't explore anything outside of like his core characters, mm-hmm. I lost interest with the book. And it was just so interesting that the one element that um, Damon Lindelof puts in this show is like what i was screaming for after the book like does that happen i want to see that happen like that would give me some context and it would be an emotional moment you could you know follow somebody with that so yeah i thought that that was interesting so Um, do you think that works from a you do you like that sort of twist from a story standpoint or i think it's i think it's interesting that in trying to at first when i finished the book convey my feelings about it that was my first thought. Mm-hmm. I think had I given it more <laughs> thought, I'm, I maybe could have come up with a more nuanced, you know, <laughs> an interesting way of doing it. Um, but having said that, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a visual, it didn't hit me in the gut, you know, for whatever reason. I don't know if it was because we didn't see the screen because we didn't get to see Lori react really to it. Yeah. You know, so it hasn't yet hit me, but as an idea, it totally comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. Like in the departure, like did, you know, fetuses leave the womb and right. we get an answer to that. I thought that that was, that was good. Yeah. And especially for the Garveys whose whole family has fallen apart. And I, I would say, especially for Jill or for Jill, for Lori. And this is what I want to talk about, talk to you about next is for someone who seemingly up until this point had really, no, I would say no motivation at all to abandon her family completely and join the guilty remnant. I feel like it complicates, it sort of muddies those waters at least a little bit, right? Do you feel like the if that is what happens, she's has a a, a fetus in utero depart? Do you think does that does that work as sort of justification to join the guilty remnant? Does it like does it at least help you to sympathize with her character a little bit more at all you know i guess to an extent but not to the extent that i'm going to be like yeah laurie join the gr yeah you know like that that does not in my mind justify her actions you know of abandoning her born children (laughs) yeah of abandoning her whole entire family right and then also being told we can assume by Patty because Patty 
I take it now, do you as well, that Patty in some way has groomed Lori to take over, that Patty knew that maybe her time was coming and that she wanted Lori sure. to kind of take over, right? Yeah. So, you know, we kind of get that sense that, you know, she knows what the game plan is. And if the game plan involves murdering your own people, you know, there's another level, right? That you'd be like, all right, Lori, I see you, you're, you're grieving. Let's not pick up a hundred stones and throw them at Gladys. Right. <laughs> you know, it yeah. just doesn't. She was okay with it though. <laughs> oh, oh, until the end, right? When, yeah. when uh, Gladys starts saying. Until she actually being murdered. <laughs> she was good with it in, in theory up until Stone 8. And right. in Stone 9, she yeah. had to be like, let's yeah. call this. Yeah. All right. So uh, that was sort of, and I felt like, and we'll get into the other characters now that we've covered Kevin and Lori, uh, but I wanted to sort of run through these callbacks throughout the episode, because like I said, I feel like for a lot of people, they can serve as interesting sort of uh, just sort of like bookmarks for if you've been paying attention, but for, but I think it could also represent a thought of like, I have been paying attention and now all of this stuff seems a little heavy handed maybe. So you have Kevin. Um, and I'll say, first of all, the show opens with a shot of the pole, right? Without a blue ribbon on it. That was a bit of a callback, although it's not Good character catch. specific. Uh, but Kevin, so you get Kevin. He's got a line when he's talking to Tommy, I believe, about his biological father. Yep. Um, he says sometimes, or what's his name? Tommy is talking about how um, it's not fair that they just get away with it. Speaking of his biological father. And um, Kevin says sometimes you have to pretend or something like that. And that seems to be sort of Kevin's mission statement on the show, right? He's just always pretending. So that was a bit of a callback. He says, I think something is wrong with me, which could be the beginning of his psychosis or whatever you want to call it. He has, he's starting to have sleeping problems. Um, he, we finally get the confirmation of his affair, right? Or his, um, I don't know what you would call it because affair seems more long-term, right? His indiscretion, maybe his indiscretion. There you go. There you go. And, and we also get hints to his drinking problem because that scene opens with two empty glasses of liquor. And he has a smoking problem. And he also has a smoking problem. A self-imposed smoking problem, right? Because even Lori is like, I don't care what you do. Right. <laughs> You're the one that said you wanted to stop. And yet he's hiding it from everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a that, weird that, that's touch. A, that's an interesting character moment yeah. that I didn't really think about. Yeah. Uh, Lori's callback is along Kevin's line where he's talking to, um, she's talking to Tommy in the bedroom scene and, um, she says pretending doesn't like, trust me, I do this for a living. Pretending doesn't work. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of her mission statement for the show. So, and that's, you know, kind of the, that's kind of the guilty remnants mission. So, so is she basically encouraging Tommy to go beat the crap out of <laughs> his biological dad right, to every, never get over it every night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jill, this isn't as much of a callback. Um, but, and I saw this on Reddit. Jill's science fair project is all about entropy, right? And entropy is, can be very, very broadly defined as randomness, right? Which is kind of almost the 
it's what the show is about, kind of, right? Because it's like these people disappeared. Why did they disappear? Who were they? Why were they chosen? It all seems fairly random. It's I guess seemed a little bit more of a like a wink to the audience, maybe. Right. Uh Tommy. We get some backstory on Tommy's biological father. Yep. For instance, he still lives in Mapleton, is is fairly well off, which is was not something I was expecting, right? Like I sort of assumed he was just like out of the picture completely. So I think that's something that's probably going to come up again later in the series, right? Yeah. Unless, you know, maybe he disappeared. Yeah. Um, Nor now Nora has a lot, right? So she has the line with Mayor Lucy where she says, "As far as you're concerned, for the next four weeks, I don't have a family." Dun dun dun. Yeah. All right. Um. Then you get the paper towels, right? Where we see what happened to the paper, the world of paper towels. Yep. And um, something that is loosely tied to Nora is when Kevin bursts into the or burst when kevin goes to the house that the deer has burst into that is the house of the couple with the down syndrome child who Mm -hmm. disappeared um that we see nora interviewing earlier so it's so you're starting to see kind of everyone is entangled in like a like a robert altman-esque web right well yeah i i kind of compared it to magnolia you know paul thomas anderson it's kind of and and I felt like this episode really stretched that a little thin and again made you think of the spiritual implications of it, yeah. right? That who is sending this deer to this house, you know, and what are all these characters' connections to one another? And they're all coming in into uh conflagrate into um you know, into contact with each other, like the day of and before the departure it just it's like is this all just kind of clever writing or is it speaking to the broader themes is this meaningful that they're engaging with each other this way what 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 do you think do you think it's meaningful i don't know i mean that's that's kind of the line that the show is walking right it's like it either is and there's a gl- greater explanation to all of this or it's not, and the show's about the characters. But but well, that's the thing. If it's not, it's kind of like, why are we being shown all of these right, things? Right, right. If it's not, then the point is that randomness is way more purposeful than yeah. we could have ever imagined, you know? Because there's so many linked destinies in this show. It's it's this show kind of, or this episode made it pretty obvious in a way that you couldn't not look at it and be like, we get it. Everyone yeah. is connected. Yeah, and I, and this isn't a callback, but I really did not need Nora literally cursing her daughter like moments before she disappeared. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like you're hitting the nail on the head a little bit too hard with that one. You know what I mean? Like I get it. You know? Right. Um, okay. So Matt's callback when he finds out he's negative at the oncologist who is strangely enough in the same office as an OBGYN. Apparently. Um, his wife, he says, let's get drunk. And his wife says, you get drunk. I'll drive. Dun, dun, dun. Kevin Sr., we start to see the beginning of his relationship with the mayor. Uh, speaking of the mayor, she has one or two lines in the episode. One few F-words in there. <laughs> yeah, one of the lines she says to Kevin is, after Kevin curses at her, of course, she says, you better not talk to me like that when I'm the mayor. 
right? So what's the opposite of dun dun dun? <laughs> yeah, it's a light one. Yeah. Chimes. Um, yeah. Um, Patty, right? Her callback during the interview is: we get an explanation of the bag she dropped off to Neil. And that explanation is that it's full of Patty's literal and emotional shit, right? right. Like, okay. Um, Gladys, who also has about three to five lines in the entire episode. And one of her lines is, she's speaking to Lori about the puppies. She says, quote, they don't need her anymore, which I thought was pretty astute for the woman who was stoned to death a few episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Have some respect when you remember Gladys. <laughs> you can just throw um, her around. So the question I have about the callbacks is what I've said when introducing them every single time. Do they work for you or are they too heavy handed? Um, you know, for for me. Did they stick <sighs> out to you while you were watching the episode? They they stuck they, they stuck out to a certain extent. Yeah. It's definitely something that when you see it. On, and this is one thing that I do wonder, right? We live in a DVR culture where you can go back and pour over frames and pour over lines. If there's something that you miss, you can just rewind it and watch it again, you know? Whereas previously, I feel like it was kind of, you watch it's over, maybe it's back on DVD and you'll see it again or catch on a repeat or something like that. You had to go out and find it again if yeah. you really want to watch it again. And I feel like maybe stuff like this starts looking worse the more you look at it because on one on one viewing it didn't stand out to me that much mm -hmm. it was fine second viewing when you get like three deep in there and then four and then yeah. five then you start saying all right like every character is getting their moment they're just like ba-doom boom moment you know right. they don't need her anymore yeah and, exactly you know for the next four weeks i don't have a family and you know all that stuff that, you know, you start seeing the labor of that, you know, somebody was sitting down and they were like, okay, these two people come together. All right. How are we going to fit in what that person is about? Hmm. You know? Right. Or I wonder like, did they have a line? They're like, okay, here's the line. Make that work. Just build a conversation around it. You know? Yeah. You just start thinking too much about the craft. You're not just enjoying the pleasure of watching these stories play out, you know? Yeah. So... I mean, with that list, I feel like that list is a little too extensive. You know? <laughs> I mean, they're all there. I mean, that's all. From no, the no, episode. no, no, no. Yeah, no. That, that's what I'm saying. But I feel like if you're building your episode, you kind of cut that in half. Yeah, you go, I see what you're saying. That's enough. Yeah. Do we really need eight as right. opposed to four? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I think the show probably would have been better served if they were a little more subtle. Look, either either do like the eight that you did. Or do like four really good subtle ones or do like literally 200. Just have like wall to wall. Have it be how many callbacks. Where's yeah. Dean? Let's right. throw Dean in there. Right. Let's like, let's just get everybody yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and one thing I will say, think about it now is like with the, with the mayor Lucy and the Kevin interaction is like, does that mean like like that means in that scene that they don't really know each other, right? And Kevin is still talking to her that way, anyways. <laughs> like just how he talks to people, it seems pretty pretty uh, rude. 
Well, I mean, look how he talks to his wife earlier in the episode. <laughs> the, the perfect husband. That's true. That's true. All right. So moving on to uh, other theories that have been. Actually, first, let's do our overall impressions and then we'll move on to other theories. Um, so in my notes, I have written down, or while I was watching the episode, this is what I wrote down. I want you to tell me what you think of this statement. I wrote down, the only thing that makes this episode interesting is that it's nine episodes in. Um, yeah, I, I think it works a little more for me mm-hmm. than, than you. I think that's part of the reason why it works is that it's nine episodes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see what you're saying, but to me, it's not the only, yeah, the only reason, but another thing that I think you, you, you brought up, um, earlier, um, when we were talking, uh, is, you know, what if this came out of order, right? Is that what you were, you, you know, I think, I think it's where it needs to be for, for the impact of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, and I don't totally agree with that. It was just something I wrote down in the moment. Um, but I kind of, I feel like it's a natural fit for the first episode, right? Obviously, because it takes place chronologically first. But like what we were speaking about earlier, putting it in this sequence it's you're you're giving meaning to little things that wouldn't normally have that meaning just by placing them out of order. And so if those little things are not supposed to have meaning, that's something that has to be considered. Right. Right. So by taking these little interactions and placing them nine episodes in after we've already seen sort of the outcomes of all of these little interactions, you're placing a lot more emphasis on them and you're giving them a lot more meaning than if they're supposed to just be like meaningful interactions. Right. And I feel like some, at least a, uh, I think a big part of the series is focusing on or would be focusing on what are we giving meaning to, or what are the characters giving meaning to, right? If the show is truly about, the characters and not knowing what the departure is, then a lot of the characters are going to be spending their time figuring out what they did in the past that led to future actions. Right. And so we end up kind of doing the same thing where if, if this episode was the first episode, it would be something after the season was over and on DVD or whatever you, you go back and you rewatch it. And as you're rewatching the first episode, you're like, oh, my gosh, look at all of these interactions that I didn't even notice before. Instead of callbacks, they're all setups. Exactly. Right. And so but now because of this, it's like, you know, it's it seems like, you know, the, the Patty scene in the first episode, it would be like this woman is crazy. Right. Like, I guess, I mean, maybe not if you know the show is about a departure or an event happening, but I feel like it's at least more justifiable. Whereas now nine episodes in and after Patty's committed suicide, it's like, wow, she like actually really knows what's going on. It's not as easy to kind of dismiss her as a crazy person. And the problem with that, like I said, is if you're not if the focus is on the characters and not the event, then it kind of doesn't 
like like then then Patty isn't going to know what happened because ultimately we never know what happens and the writers don't know what happens because nobody knows what happens. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's kind of how I felt about it. Like I think it I think it works. I think it was a good episode. Like I liked it. It kept me entertained, but it just kind of felt I don't know. It it again like the previous episodes, like episode six or no episode seven. It kind of feels like well, you've been telling us the whole time that there's no greater meaning to this, but then we get an episode like episode seven where it's only about people trying to figure out a greater meaning or at least pointing to a greater meaning. Right. Um, and something else, I think the, the best way to say it after saying all of that, I think the best way to say it is something that Sonia says in the AV club article. She says, it's interesting, but it relies on a lot of suspense instead of actual storytelling. Right. Because you're kind of jumbling everything up Instead of just saying, here's our story, we're telling it from A to B, you're saying, here's our story, we're mixing everything up, and now you figure it out. Right. And that kind of, I don't know, like I said, or like Sonia said, it, it there's a lot of suspense just based around trying to, that, that wouldn't be there if you're just telling the story from A to B. Right. It's kind of a false suspense, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the only argument to that would be like, it's a storytelling technique, right? I mean, you know, it's it's an artful interpretation of a story. So, I mean, you as the writer or the artist have the ability to say, I want to tell this in sequence or I want to tell it out of sequence. Sure. And build up. It may be false suspense or, you know, parts of it may be real suspense. But, I mean, you know, it's one way of telling that story. It's, sure. It's but I viable. Think, I think it's also... I think, first of all, it's because it's a TV show, right? And so you're having to wait to get all of the parts of the story. Right. And you're having to wait potentially multiple years, right? Whereas the the example I thought of when I was writing up the notes was Tarantino, right? Like, that's how all of his movies are. But because you're watching a two-hour movie... Or it's like, all contained. It, right. In the case of, like, Kill Bill, a four-hour movie, like, you start the movie and you and by the time the movie's over... You know everything you're supposed to know about the story, whereas you know, like we've like we've watched nine hours of the leftovers, and there's still a lot of questions. And so it just, and I think it again, it harkens back to the idea of like, are television shows supposed to be watched like this and scrutinized like this? Because we've we're complaining about something now that could be answered in episode ten, or like has happened before. You know, things that we that I've talked about specifically in one show were answered the very next week. Yeah. No, I mean I, I don't like the I don't like the criticism of people saying, Yeah, you cannot have an opinion or view on a show until it's over. Yeah. Right? Or until a season's over at least. Because that's not how they're played out, right? They're played out week to week. Sure, yeah. So that's week true. to week I have a reaction to it. That's valid. Yeah. But I mean I am very quick and I think on you know, uh very quick to admit when I feel like I don't have enough information on something to make a call and i'm giving the storytellers the benefit of the doubt and i'm still watching their show you know what yeah. i mean so okay yeah i agree all right let's move on to other theories um the first one that gained a lot of traction was really popular after the show ended is the idea that at least well 
I, I would say it. You could argue for this in the in the sense of this episode alone, right? I mm-hmm. obviously don't think it applies to the universe as a whole, mm-hmm. but in the, at least the show, the theory is that when the departure happened, everyone that departed was somebody that somebody else was wishing they were gone or wanted to be unburdened of, right? So the examples we see in the episode are Nora's family, obviously, because the husband is not doing anything. And that kid talk about boy. In- yeah. He ta- is annoying. Yeah. Talk about incomp. We, we talked about incompetence on this show. Yeah. That boy was an incompetent <laughs> boy, like to the extreme. That yeah. was crazy. Yeah. He was, he was driving me nuts. Yeah. He want, apparently when he gets hungry, he just knows to <laughs> he just chance screams, I'm hungry. And screams. <laughs> yeah. Um uh Kevin's mistress, right, which uh they were kind of in the act. Right. So it's so like is she unwanted? Right. But at the same time you could say, you know, maybe he's still feeling guilty, whatever. Um the science fair kid was another was kind of the hang up for everyone. And so the way I justified this just to fit within the theory is maybe Jill was upset that she, like she was being shown up by this kid that's doing a demonstration, right? By this little Asian girl who's like apparently way smarter than everyone else and is doing like a human circuit. Um the crying baby that we see from the pilot, right, that pulls up next to Lori. Oh, get that baby out of here. Yeah. Talk about annoying. Um, the Down syndrome kid that we mentioned and this and this and I'll just say this is a weird coincidence because, again, you know, referencing our other podcast, we just talked about this in our other podcast. So it's weird that it shows up here. And a lot of people like when this was on Reddit, um, other people were mentioning like Nora's and Kevin's and the science fair. And then a lot of people were also like, don't forget the Down syndrome kid. I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why is everyone just assuming he was wished to be gone? Right. Right. Um, but the the one actual argument for that that I heard that that I think works is the idea that in the moment of the departure or right before the departure, they had a deer ransacking their house. Right. And and the Down syndrome kid was refusing to leave the house until they got all of those pennies picked up, right? Kind of putting everyone's life in danger within the house. Yeah. So that kind of works, right? Yeah. Um, but then here's the real deal breaker for me. Who is wishing Shaq to disappear? Who is wishing Gary Busey to disappear? Who is wishing the entire cast of Perfect Strangers to disappear? Who... Yeah, who remembers right? the cast of Perfect Strangers? Exactly. Right. Who's thinking about them? Period. <laughs> exactly. So that was some. That was a theory. Um, I don't like it. No, I, I don't either. And I think again, all of these theories too. It's kind of like all of these are taken with a grain of salt because the show is supposed to be under this umbrella of like the mystery not being explained. Um, even though we have our own theories of what the mystery is. Yeah. Um, we talked about this a little bit, uh, so I won't go into, I'll just mention it, but we won't go into it. The theory that Patty actually knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, other people, and I'm bringing this up just because I was surprised that this came up again. And I know we talked about it a little bit on the last show is there are still people, and this speaks to the sort of like refusing to believe what you're watching or what the show is giving you. There are still people that are convinced that 
the people we are watching are the people who actually departed and the people they're grieving are the people who actually were left behind, right? There's like a literally no evidence to substantiate any of that. Like, especially considering the show is called the leftovers, <laughs> like, but it's out there. Um, and this isn't a theory, but my fun, my uh, a question I had is, do you think, we will have an answer to what the departure is. All is said and done. The series is over. Do you think we'll have an answer to it? Because Lindelof started off as saying, no, don't watch the show if you want the answer. That's not what it's about. I think he later changed his answer to something along the lines of, I reserve the right to answer anything I want to answer. Right. Which is kind of more or less like hedging your bets. Right. So do you think that will be answered? It's just kind of like as a speculation. Yeah, I I do. I mean, and and the reason is... It definitely seems to be going that way. Right, and the reason is everything that we've stated. You know, I think you and I try and take this show at face value. I I think we try not to read into it. And we just try and say, what are you trying to show us? Yeah. And And we'll take it, right? And what it keeps showing us is this spiritual reality. It keeps hinting at it. And hinting at it and hinting at it. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, so you're just building for one huge kind of anticlimactic, like, uh, ambiguous ending, you know? Because it's not ambiguous. Because you're clearly, every yeah. episode's making your claim more and more on the supernatural side of it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, you you can't... The, the, only, the only shocking ending that I could see is them going then in the very last like two episodes and like secularizing everything that we've seen, you know, before and be like, you know, going out of their way to make it now look like chance is just a part of this universe. Yeah. And there's no order. Yeah. So look, they've already gone. I don't know if they know this or not. Hopefully they do. (laughs) They've already like 60% answered the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. We know it's some kind of higher power, acting right here yeah okay the, the framework is up the right? framework is up man yeah they just have to put up the drywall just put up the drywall <laughs> to fill it in yeah just name it so do you think that the writers do you think they have an answer to it i mean i guess we may have answered that earlier when we said lindelof just kind of writes without yeah. knowing the ending like stephen king does yeah but i mean d- does that mean that he does not have a theory of himself yeah you, I, I think you have to, right? Yeah. Or, or else you're going to write yourself into corners like they did in Lost, yeah. where it's e- like even if you're not going to reveal it, I think you have yeah. to have something you believe. At least. When, when you sit down to write this character in this scene, what are they reacting against? Yeah, is it really like I don't know? Well, then, well, then, what's their motivation? Yeah. You know, would you be satisfied if there is no answer given? I mean, I, I'm going to again just by just saying like I'm trying to take this show at face value. I have no expectations on the ending. Is it going to be a good show? Is all I care about. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and so that's why like I'm not as invested on like Breaking Bad. I never problem with the ending because to me it's not all about the ending. Same thing with um, True Detective. It's not all about the ending to me. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, so it's interesting that you, as your example, you use two very disappointing endings. <laughs> Well, no, no, that's exactly because a lot of people reference them as disappointing. Yeah. I don't find either of them disappointing. For, yeah. for, for me, they they weren't. 
because I was watching for, you know, different reasons. So I'm not going to stake my claim on either side of this, uh, on this hill, you know? All right, man. Lay off. Jeez. Uh, the, the, and the only thing I'll, I'll mention again is ambiguous as the show has been towards an ending. The one thing that is absolutely not ambiguous in the show is the title sequence, right? Yeah. The title sequence is a rapture period. Yeah. Like, there's no arguing about that. So it would be weird to have a rapture title sequence on a show. That's not about the rapture. Well, that's what I was saying when I first saw the title sequence. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on leftover observations. Uh, and this is something, dang it, that I meant to answer or I meant to address during Nora's callbacks thing, but I'll just say it here. Something that I noticed the second time is when Nora asks her husband to take the kids to school for her during when she has to go to her interview. I think that's probably like a this is when the affair started, right? Because that night he comes home super late and it's just like the account fell through or whatever yeah. generic I'm late response right and and he's totally forgotten about her interview is uninterested um so earlier in the episode Lori talks to what we later realize is a planned parenthood worker potentially right i guess that's also left a little unclear but like if the idea of like the whole thing she's questioning is whether or not she wants to have this baby right and so you're assuming in the beginning of the episode when she's talking to this nurse or um, whoever on the phone and they're saying stuff like uh, we're reaching the point of no return. I, you're assuming she's talking to like a Planned Parenthood clinic about her potential like abortion of the baby. Right. And I just thought it was odd, like how pushy this woman was to like. She, oh, like like I said, she says we're reaching the point when 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 Lori says I'm I have to I canceled it because I have to go to my daughter's science fair project. The nurse is like, well, we're reaching the point of no return. It's kind of like, whoa, back <laughs> off, lady. Like, <laughs> yeah. how invested in this are you? Right? right. I just thought that was a little uh, much, a little much. And then um, and then when Lori says, well, I still have to talk to my husband about it anyways. Then she's like, well, you should do that, and then you'll be in tomorrow, right? <laughs> It's just it's kind of like, man, this lady is really <laughs> invested in Lori's like potential abortion. Um, the kid, something I noticed <laughs> that I really liked <laughs> was the kid yelling out of the, running out of the element, just going yelling, it's a monster. <laughs> right. Like that kid has obviously never seen a deer before. Right. right. Like, this, like my daughter's two years old and she knows what a deer is. This kid is in elementary school and he has no, he thinks that's a monster. <laughs> the other thing that I noticed about that uh, monster uh, is that it lost a lot of blood. Yeah. It has been jumping through a lot of windows. And right. It's been cutting itself on a lot of glass. Right. And I'm like, this thing has a lot of spirit yeah. left in it no. for how much blood it lost. He's and determined. He's determined. It's like a, it's like a horror movie in that hallway going into that, that room. Yeah. I noticed that too. When he pulled up to that house, the final house, was he that finds a little it, much? He Did finds it like, in. Yeah. And you, and blood is everywhere. Right. Yes. And it's all over their porch door and their porch door is a screen door. <laughs> like jumping through a screen does not cut you up. And that thing was covered in blood. Well, well I want to say it, it was also the school, like the yeah. school was covered in blood too. I mean, that that deer should have been just a it should have been a monster it should have been right. just a gnarled right kind of meaty 
pulpy mess. Yeah. Um, and something else that I just wanted to uh, reiterate is that uh, Patty took a shit in a bag and left it on someone's doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, potentially, right? I mean, that's the impression I get, right? Like, what else? Because the the line is like, you, you're supposed to crap out your emotional baggage or, or whatever. So, like, I mean, she's what else is going to be in that bag? Well, well yeah, and, and we talked about before that something was in the bag. Like, I remember when she walked and put on the, it did not look like a, a, like loose (laughs) bag in the wind. It looked like it was something was holding it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Way to go, Patty. Yeah. She is, yeah, she's dedicated. Well, yeah. And oh, and that's it. Like, remember when she kind of says her piece and walks out of the diner or she's going in the restroom? Yeah. Yeah. Again, now it all ties to the woman. There's a call back. What the doggy bag is for. And she just is like, don't worry about it, honey, uh, or whatever, right? She's taking a dump in it. Right. Um, Kevin Sr., we see him in his role as chief, and he has no idea what to do with a clipboard in his hands because he's <laughs> got this clip, and it's just like, he. it's almost like he's like an octopus trying to hold a clipboard, right? <laughs> it's just like constantly moving back and forth, and it just was caught me as so weird looking. Yeah, wouldn't you just tuck that underneath your... <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, a hold on to it, it or something. Like, tuck in your armpit there, yeah, buddy. You it don't was need to. Um, weird. Uh, Chris Zilka's tattoos make me think that he is an ex-convict, right? Like he has the most random, randomly placed assortment of tattoos I've seen on, you know, anyone that has not served time you know, f- five to 10 years in nope. prison. And you know, what I'm going to say in a Russian prison, like, yeah. he's like, yeah. you know, it's like uh, Eastern promises. Right. Th- the other thing, too, is one of the lingering mysteries is what is that tattoo that, you know, Lori's like, oh, you got a new one? You want to see a piece of it? And she's like, I like it. I'm like, I see a feather and like yeah. a small bead yeah. at knows? the bottom of that. Yeah. Like, what? what is that of? Yeah. His acting is also like it's atrocious. Too, it's too much, right? Look, it's okay. It's okay, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to defend somebody. Like, there are good actors and there are bad actors. And TV shows only have so much budget. But... I think we can all come together and if you like the show or hate the show, we can all just agree calmly that he's a bad actor. Yeah. He's a, he's a terrible actor. He, I think I put one of mine as one of my um, observations later on. I can't see it now. So I'll just say it now. Um, He, his idea I feel like is I need, I have 12 minutes of screen time and I need everyone watching this to know that me and Jill are so tight yeah and the way that i do that is by just hanging on her right every episode i'm gonna be leaning on her yeah. i'm gonna be draping myself over her and people are gonna think that we are just bffs and yeah. we have so much history and it just came off as way overdoing it. i'm like this guy is a single he i don't even know how he came out of humans he, he's like a <laughs> test tube baby who doesn't understand like human interaction yeah and like he thinks physical contact equals like love yeah he's just like touching everybody and hanging on everybody yeah, yeah it just yeah it struck me as like it struck me as like the guy who's like way too committed but nobody wants to say anything to him you know what i mean right. it's like it's like everyone is seeing this performance and they're just like, what do we do? Well, I'm right. I'm gonna, yeah. It's like, you can't like, 
cut it out just because of how genuine he is about it, even though it's just as like it's like from another planet. Oh, yeah. Elise, again, she was watching this out of context and she goes, are they dating? And I'm like, no, he's just trying to invest like 18 years of history into into one minute of screen yeah. time. And he is way overselling this thing. Speaking of overselling, too, it took me a while to realize that that was his biological dad and not his lover. Based on right. based on his acting, I felt like his acting was really kind of like meek and, you know, like differential in a really weird way where I'm like, this does not look like a guy who beat up like his biological right. dad. It looks like somebody who's like been called out and now is dad's going to be up his his older lover you know or yeah. something yeah well i think it's also confusing too because during the confrontation kevin jr keeps saying did you touch my son yeah and so and so when he first said it, i was like is this like I, my first thought was like wait a minute is tommy involved in some like like gay like that's why like, i thought like just like sexual relationship affair with a married man or something yeah i thought that's my first thought was and then he kept saying did you touch my son and then i realized i think he's just talking about like hitting him or something (laughs) oh and then no and then the dad's like yeah i pushed him right so kevin like punches him in the gut i was like oh okay (laughs) they're talking about fighting the whole time (laughs) now that you say that that is really funny yeah Um, and speaking of Kevin, so we get a, a kind of a weird scene when he's running, right? Car full of women pulls up to him and they say something like, are you ready? Yeah. They say, are you ready? And then they realize they're not who he's looking for. And he drives off and then the sewer lid explodes. Any like thought on that? Honestly. And I, again, I'm fine with this show, but with this one, I have to say who cares? Yeah. Who cares? A, a sewer lid explodes. And, you know, I mean, look, if you have to do something, he's getting, getting all excited. He's come, he comes back. He's like something, you know, unexpected happened. And it's kind of, I guess, a funny juxtaposition that right before, you know, millions of people leave this earth unexpectedly. Is it millions, hundreds of thousands? I, I forget what. I what think are, it's like 1.4 million. Millions, right? Isn't that yeah. What, so like. Over a million people leave the earth. He's getting excited about a sewer like lid exploding. And it did make me think a little bit on like, you know, the moments that I think are like unexpected are nothing in comparison to, you know, a real kind of uh, mystery, you know, kind of existential mystery, like uh, people disappearing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like. The thing you'd get excited about your your daily, you know, commute. The oh, you know what happened to me? I guess it was now like a year ago. I was morning commute. I left early. I get on the highway. There's literally a car pulled over. It's on fire. <laughs> there are no uh, fire trucks. Yeah. There's no people or by the car or in the car. Yeah. It's just a burning car on the side of the of the road yeah and like nowhere that i saw where i was driving did i see a guy like holding his head being like (laughs) what happened to my car people weren't really like stopping it was a highway yeah and i just drove by this flaming car and i'm like i just drove by a car on fire yeah this morning to work and that felt odd and strange 
But yeah, can you imagine if the next day the departure happens? You yeah. know, it's like, uh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say that a lot of people are uh, thinking that the women were the beginning of the guilty remnant, right? Because in the scene, Kevin is smoking and wearing white. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But at the same time, like the people, that, the women that pull up aren't smoking and they're no. not wearing white. And they're talking. And they're talking. So uh, I really liked the scene um, <laughs> post or during departure, I guess, where it cuts to Kevin checking underneath the sheets for the woman he was just having sex with. Like that's something that like a five-year-old would do, right? Like this, he really thinks she's hiding underneath the sheets. <laughs> that is, you know, like that's a, it's a great kind of visual image, right? This right. fluttering right. Yeah. sheet. But it's really funny that if you had to get practical on why he'd be doing that, it is because he's like, right. Is she under there? <laughs> yeah. I can see the outline of the bed, but still, I mean, she may, yeah. she may have tucked herself in a right. ball or something in the corner. Yeah. Um, and I'll let you, you've got two written down here. I'll, I'll let you do those before I get into my last one. Okay. So the first one, I, I have a job. I have a child. I didn't have time. So maybe somebody else can reference this for me, but it really stuck out to me that, uh, when Nora is in her car and the lady with the screaming baby pulls up that Nora is just hanging out there. The lady like looks at her shrugs or whatever, and then drives off. And Nora is still just sitting there with no thought of like time to drive. No one's honking at her. And I was like, was the other lady in a turn lane? Yeah. How did she get to go? And right. Nora is still stuck yeah. at this light and no one's getting frustrated. Yeah. Um, also, what kind of conference was the lady uh, who killed the deer coming back from? Yeah. Right. Because as far as I could tell, it was in the morning. Right. And she's like, um, trying to go back to my hotel room from this conference. I'm like, right. so what conference meets from what? Right. 6 a.m. to 8 a.m.? <laughs> then right. And then it's done for right. the day? And then you're ready to just sleep with the first guy you run into? <laughs> right. So it made yeah. me think, like, what kind of conference was she at? Yeah. Is that is that just, like, again, like a writer, like, she needs to be there for something. Yeah. And she needs to be yeah. out of town. She's, she's got to say something. Yeah. Right. So I guess she's at a conference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Like, like, is it not enough that her car is totaled? Like, it, regardless where she's coming from, she's going to need a ride to go somewhere. Right. To the right? pass hotel, right? And there yeah. you go. I don't know. Uh, and the last one I have, and this is just a minor annoyance. It doesn't have anything to do with the show, really. It's um, as, so as soon as the show is over, as soon as the show is over, I go to Reddit. I check out the discussion post on the episode. But something I've noticed in the past couple ones is every single time after the show is over, the subreddit starts getting flooded with individual posts for each song that played during the show, right? And it made me think, like, are people that invested in, like, what Doobie Brothers song is playing on The Leftovers, <laughs> right? Or, like, yes. it just seems like so. And then I'm thinking, like, are people, like, watching the show with, like, Shazam out on their phone and, like, as soon as a song comes on they're like shazam and then they get <laughs> the song it. they're like i gotta put this on the subreddit it just is like and there's never really any comments on them it just seemed it just is like a strange thing and it just is kind of like because i'm just looking for what's new or what i haven't clicked on already and ultimately every time it's like everything is grayed out except for these four or five music posts <laughs> it's just is like man i don't i just don't get it 
Um, but that's it for this week. Oh, we didn't we didn't talk about our plans for next week. Um, what do you want to do? Because the finale is not for two weeks, right? Is it? Yeah, it's not for two weeks. Oh. So it's not on Labor Day, which is actually good because we have a um, fantasy draft that night. Oh, do we? Yeah. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. Either that night or like the Monday night we would record. I think oh, it might be Monday night. I was kind of looking for. I thought that'd be a great night because then you have Labor Day the next yeah. day to kind of, we could record. Yeah. And so do you want to just take that week off? Or do you want to, I was thinking of doing maybe like a, like this is everything we know going into the finale. Maybe sure. Like a recap. Sure. Okay. So we'll have a show next week. It'll just be a, a recap. I don't know how long it'll be, but we'll see. It depends on how much of the season I can rewatch in the meantime. <laughs> Justin will fight for a recap. I'll fight for if we wrote the finale <laughs> and then we can just walk everybody through our script. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be next week. Uh, you, until then, you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at Brown Blue White. You can follow our personal accounts on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. And uh, any information uh, else, any other information on the show you need can come uh, from the show notes. You know, we've got links to our emails in there. We've got links to all the Twitter stuff, music credits website all that stuff is in the show notes um so anything you need just go to there and until uh next time what's he gonna say this time <laughs> he's just gonna it. giggle I don't have anything to say he's gonna giggle it's and turn like it his, off yeah it's like the intros i don't know what you know i don't know how to end i don't know how to get into it i don't know how to end it he's he's off his flow yeah